0: What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive.
1: Alrighty then. So, to go through and get started today. First and foremost, we have a couple of new patrons to say hello to. Okay. So, we're going to give a shout out to Steve L as well as Brian and Gerald W. Thank you so much for joining us on Patreon. We greatly appreciate that. And uh apologies to Brian and Gerald on the delayed video response. <laughs> but it is coming. Technically by the time you hear this episode, it should already be there. And if you're not caught up with the podcast, it will definitely be there by the time you hear this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, gracious! So today's episode—before uh, I'm sure there'll be some random little chit chat and banter in there—but the well. the main topic of today's episode is going to be queen conundrums. And uh, later on, we will have Ken's cooking corner because it is the last Monday of the month of May. So we'll get all that stuff worked in there. But first, before we go into that, you guys had a hell of a storm come through there. What, like uh day before yesterday,
0: yesterday, something like that? like oh, okay. Well, it's been, what is, yeah, I guess it's been several days ago. We probably had, well, we had golf ball, ping pong size, size hail, uh, 75 to 90 mile an hour winds. And uh, yeah, it's pretty wild here. It was a down. What do they call downdraft. That's all it was, cause I said, Well heck, I gotta go check uh, swarm traps. So after that wind, I said, they'll be blowed out of the trees. Nope. Once I got it just three miles away from here, there wasn't even anything blowed out of the trees. We had trees blowed over, limbs busted. There wasn't even leaves blowed out of the trees, just two or three miles from here. So they didn't Are have they- the wind over there.
1: Yeah, they had it listed on the news that you guys that you were under a tornado warning. The storm was rotating, and it was bearing down right on top of Tau, headed over to Lake Buchanan. And I was like, "Oh, that's right on top of Ken."
0: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad. It, we had a hell of a wind. Let's put it that way. But that's it. And I figured there was probably rotation. I had I didn't see the you know the reporter and the weather or anything. So, but it was a uh, Blowing like hell. One of my buddies called me and says, Ken, it's purple where you're at. <laughs> yeah. That was what I was saying.
1: On the on the weather, it didn't look too pretty.
0: <laughs> no, but uh, we didn't, you know, nothing happened. Only thing I found was one of my packages, the uh, cover blew off. Put it back on there and that's it. Gotcha.
1: Well, that's good. I'm glad that, uh, that really, for the most part, there wasn't too much going on.
0: I mean, harm to the hives, anyway. Yep, no harm to the hives, but uh, the only thing. Well, I say no harm to the hives. We've got so many flowers, but as it, it it's it it's not stop it it won't stop raining, so they can get to producing nectar. I think every time they make nectar, it rains, washes it out. Yeah. Well, so
1: I did a removal yesterday, and uh, the property owner and their neighbor were both asking if they could keep any of the honey and I said yeah you know if there's if there's some in there you know I always go through and qualify it with uh it should be perfectly fine so long as you or the homeowner has never treated this with anything you guys didn't ever go out there and attempt to spray it with a can of raid you didn't put seven dust down you've never had this colony removed in the past by a pest control service who just killed them out. You know, as long as none of those things have ever happened and this colony has been untouched, then yes, in theory, you can have the honey. I just need some Tupperware containers. And in this instance, though, there was a lot of open nectar inside that colony, but there was no Mm -hmm. capped honey. It wasn't ripe enough. And all of the nectar Mm was so thin and wet that if you cut the comb and turned it upside down, you didn't even have to shake it. It was like pouring water out of a pitcher. It just all come gushing out of the comb. So very, very wet, but fresh, yep. you know, obviously they, uh, they managed to maximize the days in between all of our rain and, and bring stuff in, but they didn't have enough to, you know, they, they hadn't made enough progress that it was actually capped. So I'm kind of curious what June's going to do if we're going to end up having, you know, massive amounts of nectar or if it's going to be just kind of meh, you know, so, so I'm not sure, especially after all the rain we got, it'll, I guess it'll depend on how quickly it transitions from the rainy season to the, you know, brutal heat of our summer dearth. If there's, Mm -hmm. if it drags it out a little bit into July, and we're still in that nice flow pattern, then we should be really good. But if it doesn't, if it stops, you know, the last week of June, well, then there's only three weeks <laughs> for the bees to do anything. Yeah.
0: We've got Indian blanket like you won't believe up here. There's just feels of it. And, uh, but I don't know. See, that's it, really it won't stop raining that's really interesting because usually
1: there's a lot of places down here where you just see endless supplies of of Indian blanket everywhere and or endless supplies (laughs) for the bees, I guess it's supplies, but for whatever reason this year, after the way the weather patterns and everything happened, Mm -hmm. we don't have hardly any Indian blanket. You'll see tiny little strips of it along some of the roadways, but we've got the, the Mexican top hat, everywhere like solid fields oh, yeah. of it they're just solid yellow and brown with the mexican top hat so it's usually not that way it's usually the other way around so it's kind of interesting the the freeze and snow pattern and stuff kind of changed the the germination and
0: stuff of the seeds i guess something that we've got that we don't see up here very much is black-eyed susans oh yeah the yeah the yellow flower with the with black the center yep black center Uh, don't know. All of a sudden we got a lot. And and then also we have quite a lot of clover in the lake bed where the lake went down and the bees are staying on it. We noticed that yesterday with the wind that we had, it blew one of our docks loose. So we were working on it and down there in front of that dock along the beach, it's just the clovers a foot and a half high. And Max says, dad, look at this this is the bees they've been over there. And he says, it's our bees. They're all Italian. Okay. (laughs) They were golden bees. He says, okay, that's all good for them. (laughs) Let them make clover honey.
1: Yeah. Clover actually makes some amazing honey. It's very subtle, uh, you know, kind of a universal flavor for what everybody thinks honey is, but it's, uh, it's a very, very good and abundant nectar source and honey provider. If, uh, if you have enough of it out there. So if the lake beds are full of it, that's great.
0: Uh, Also, I noticed something. The flowers on clover are like little bells and they're turned down where it's not catching the water. You know, that's not the, the, the flower itself is turned down. So if it's raining, it washes. the, The rain just goes right around the petals, and the bees still have nectar inside. Yeah. One of the other things, too, you know,
1: we talk about rain rainwashing the, the nectar out of flowers. Some flowers, so say it only rains overnight, there's a lot of flowers that the blooms actually close at night and therefore wouldn't be affected by nighttime rain showers either. So there's lots of different ways that nature can go through and compensate for that. But any of the flowers that are just open and straight
0: up do definitely get affected by those torrential downpours. Something else we have a lot of of up here and it's a max looked it up it's a little daisy just a little white flower with a yellow speck in the middle you know the yellow and we have a lot of them that's something we don't really see a lot of up here and i forgot what he called it he took a picture of it and checked it and he says yeah he said yeah it's a it's a nectar source so i don't know (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of strange stuff up here that we normally don't have now I got two swarms in the pasture right now one's in an eight frame trap with uh one comb of brood comb old comb one foundation, and the rest of them are open frames with just a uh strip in the top of i cut i took uh my uh, some some foundation and just cut it where it's about an inch and a quarter long, stuck it in the top hole, uh, poured a little wax in there, and then stuck it in there and letting them draw that out. So I'm just leaving those swarms alone and letting them draw that out. Uh, the eight frame has five empty frames with just strips in there, deep frames. Uh, the 10 frame has seven empty frames with just strips so i says well heck i'm just going to let them draw that out max says yeah so he's uh, he's got two swarms across the road that uh, he's doing the same thing we're just letting them draw it out and make new comb very cool uh
1: before i forget i i have i'm not going to know what this sounds like until i obviously go back and try to edit this but um i am in a, a different configuration so my my recording area has changed which means sound is going to change as far as what it bounces off of and such so if there's a echo or anything like that in the background I apologize to everybody it's a it's a whole different scenario Um, I also it's not it's not on at the moment but uh, (laughs) I may end up working myself back into a closet when I'm here at the house to do recordings because the I now have a 112-gallon saltwater aquarium one foot away from me <laughs> right beside my mm-hmm. desk area where I normally go through and do my recordings. But like I said, it's it's in the process of being set up. It's got the the sand and the the rocks and stuff in it at the moment, but I haven't put the water in there and turned it on. That'll be later today. So who knows? <laughs> that may be too loud, and uh, I might have to to relocate my mic and, and soundboard, <laughs> too. Like I said, back to yeah, a closet. Very-
0: <laughs> Well, we, we can listen to the fish go. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's it. Oh, man. So, okay,
1: uh, so um, today the the main subject matter for this was actually a listener question or listener request from Tony in the United Kingdom. And I'll get over here real quick and and read everybody what he said. So... He started off by by thanking us for doing the drone math sessions and said that they were very good. And he was curious if we would ever consider doing one about requeening and what uh, queen cell math looks like. And the reasoning is that he said, uh, for years now, I've always said that you wait 30 days from queen cell and that's when you would expect to find eggs. But it doesn't seem to apply now and he's trying to figure out why nobody has actually ever done a complete math on that whole prospect. And the the issue that he ran into was, he said that this year we had, or well, basically they were raising queens using the NICOT system. And he said our requeening using NICOT failed. Um, they started on April 3rd and they had already built up colonies into double mediums in anticipation of capped queen cells. And they ended up having no choice but to do splits. And they ended up making 20 splits with some seven nukes and a remainder of simple side-by-sides. And then they turned around and knocked that from 29 back down to 20. So ultimately it was quite a failure on their part. And, you know, they put it down to queen failure thinking that the failure happened from them, not returning from their flights. And the weather has been real heavy, cold and rainy with cold nights. So he was just kind of curious if we could go through and do a recap on that. And so I, I did send him a message back, but I thought we'd go through and, and touch on it here. So as a reminder on the queen math, queen math is, is actually pretty straightforward. But the downside is there's a ton of variables that can go in there that can throw a wrench in the gear at, at any point in time. And I'm going to come back and counter some of the, the initial concepts with Nikot systems. Because when you're using the NICOT system to raise queens, there's a couple of extra things you can do to kind of help cheat in a couple of spots. So first and foremost, obviously, when they decide to raise a queen, it starts off day one is an egg. On day three, that egg hatches into the first larval stage of development. On day three, when that happens, those are the ones you should be selecting to raise queens off of. Now, if the bees are doing it on their own accord, that's when they're going to go through and start filling that queen cup with royal jelly on that that third day. If you're doing a grafting session or you're doing a NICOT session, you want to select that larva that has just hatched. And it is the tiniest little hairline C in the bottom of the cell, almost hard to see. See, C, C, (laughs) C. So you get that one, and that's the one that you want to use to then either graft into a queen cup Or if it's in the Nikot system, those are the little cups that you take out and hook into your cell builder frame. So that's day three. Now from day three to day 10, that larva is continually growing and they're pumping it full of royal jelly and nutrients and all that stuff. And on average, on day 10, they cap that cell. Now here's one of the little caveats to that. If you did not select a larva at the correct stage, that cell could be capped a little bit earlier. And depending on the genetics of some colonies, I've seen colonies cap cells anywhere from the eighth day to the 10th day. So it's kind of a hypothetical day, right? It's a, it's a placeholder. But by the 10th day, they should all be capped. Now, from day 10 on, that's when they go into the pupation and the larva pupates into the maturing adult queen. <laughs> this also has a caveat to it. Now, for everybody here in the United States, in the southern portion of the United States, uh, we have the lovely aspect of having scutalata genetics in a lot of our feral bees, especially like down here in central Texas. And the scutalata genetics actually mature faster than the regular, just pure European genetics. So Apis mellifera on the calendar should emerge on the 16th day from, you know, if you started at day one with the egg, On the 16th day is when Apis mellifera emerges as an adult queen. Temperature can play a variable in that. And the warmer it is, the quicker that development can happen. And the cooler it is inside the brood nest and around the queen cell, the slower that development can happen. So 16 is kind of the golden rule, but you can have queens emerge on the 15th day. But if it's Apis mellifera scutellata and you've got those scutellata genetics mixed in there, they can emerge on the 14th day. And this is how they outcompete their genetics with the other queens, because if that queen emerges one to two days before the other queens, she has all the time she needs to go through and assassinate all of the genetics that, you know, you probably wanted in your colony and ensure that she's going to be the ruler of the nest. So, again, 16 is your what the textbooks tell you. 15 can occur based on the internal temperature of the colony around that queen cell. And 14 can occur if you're in an area where there's potentially scoot a lot of genetics mixed in with your European genetics. Now, from there, the queen has emerged. You stop your initial count. You know, you could keep going and saying, "Okay, on the 20th day. But so I it's just easier for me. Like, okay, the queen has emerged today. So now I'm going to reset my count and say one day of emergence type scenario. So she's going to spend the next five to seven days. So there's another variable in there, five to seven days, just kind of getting the feel for things, going around inside the colony and doing a couple of initial orientation flights. And on that fifth to seventh day after emergence as a virgin queen, she then leaves to go out on her first set of nuptial flights. The nuptial flights themselves can take anywhere from, well, from one to three days. And she can make multiple trips during that time period. So it's all going to kind of depend on the weather it's going to depend on the drone congregation areas the mating you know how well everything's going during this process as to whether or not she may just go out one day or she may go out all three days but it you know that's kind of the the range that you fit into there now once she comes back from this She can then stay inside the colony for another five to seven days while her body acclimates. all that genetic material, gets everything sorted and stored, and her reproductive system and ovaries get going and and actually start producing eggs. So if you follow all of that through from day one on the egg to the next time you could potentially see eggs in your colony can be a minimum of 28 days up to 33 days. So that's your queen math. And that's that's assuming there's no outside forces at play. That's how everything is supposed to work. Now, the variables that throw in there that can raise havoc on things usually occur when it comes to leaving to go to the nuptial flights. Usually. Now, there's a caveat here, though, because if you're doing your own queen cells and you're grafting or you're using the NICOT system and you're going to place queens into colonies and you're placing in the queen cell itself. Depending on what the scenario is and depending on the genetics and the status of the colony you're putting it into, if that colony has other options or that colony is a colony that potentially has, again, like for us, the scoot a lot of genetics to it, and the queen that you're putting in there does not they can and will reject a queen cell. They can destroy that queen cell in favor of using their own genetics. So when you're priming a colony to accept a queen cell, you're making them hopelessly queenless. You're, you're having a ton of bees in there that are hopefully younger bees that are going to be more apt to accept anyway. And they have no larva that is of the age range that they could potentially turn it into another queen. So they have no choices. And then you give them that queen cell and you should do it right at like the, so again, that hypothetical 16th day, you want to give it to them on the 14th day, just in case it hatches on the 15th. That's kind of when you want to be putting those queen cells in there so that the queen is already almost fully developed. She's able to communicate and she's coming out of that cell very quickly. That's kind of what you want to shoot for. If you put it in there on the day that it's capped, there's a lot higher chance that they go through and off that queen. So it's a real timing game in there that you have to kind of watch for. And here's one of the things that I do if you're using the Nikot system to cheat. Nikot system is a plastic case that has little plastic cups in a grid pattern, just like your honeycomb would be. You put the queen inside there. The front of the case has slits in it that are basically the same as a queen excluder. So the worker bees can go into it, but the queen bee cannot get out of it. And the only place that she can lay are in these cups. And I, I want to say the standard NICOT is either 50 or hundred cups. I think it's 50 cups. Um, it might be a hundred actually, but anyhow, so you've got all these little cups in there. The queen goes through, she does all of her laying in the cups. The directions on the NICOT system also state, you put the queen in there for 24 hours and then take her out. And in my experience, that does not work she doesn't want to be in there. It's kind of artificial and she may take a full day before she finally decides to start laying. Also, if it's a brand new Nikot system, the bees don't like the smell of it. So you should always introduce the Nikot system blank into the colony. I, on my top bars, I've actually got it permanently attached to a bar. So it hangs down like the comb would. Um, you can attach it onto a, a foundationless frame in a Langstroth hive. And You put it into the colony for a few days before actually using it so that the bees will go in, clean it, propolize it, get it prepped. That makes it more appealing to the queen. Then you go through, you capture your queen, you put her into the NICOT cell, and I leave her in there for three solid days so that I know she's actually got enough time to go through and lay. Now, by doing that, I'm kind of hedging my bets that the first day she's not going to do anything because she doesn't want to be there. The second day she starts laying and the third day she's possibly still laying. Now, if she starts sooner than that, you may find instances where there are two cells or two Queens per cup. I'm sorry. <laughs> you might find instances where there are two eggs per cup because she ran out of space and then she kind of repeated in some of those cups. That's the reason that you will see that sometimes if she's in there a little bit too long. But if you do that, when you take it out, on the third day or the fourth day you can take her out of there you put it back into the colony so that you know if day two is when she truly started laying eggs you want the third day of the egg to be when it first emerges as the new newly formed larva so put her in there on day one take her out on day three assume she started laying eggs on day two is gonna be your fourth day to make everything super confusing for everybody out there. (laughs) But you go back and you check your NICOT cell, you pick it up, you hold it up with a light behind it so that you can see through it better. And you can see, okay, these are still eggs. These here are newly hatched larvae. Those larva right there look a little bit bigger. And you select the larva that is the smallest, tiny little hair sea that just emerged. And you pluck out those cups and attach them into the bar. That's how the NICOT system works. They, uh, they have these little cup holders that hook into the frame or to the bar that you can just pop the little plastic cups into, but you put that into your cell builder, they draw it out. You hit the 10th day of them working on the queen cell. They cap it. What I end up doing is going back in there on the 13th total day of queen development. And they have these things called roller cages and they kind of look like, like the old school women's hair rollers. And you take that cage and you, it's the Nikot system's made so that you can pop that cage over the top of the queen cell, and it hooks into place on the little cup that's holding the queen cell. This little thing right here, it's a wonder. It does huge benefits for trying to use the Nikot system, because instead of having to go in there and pluck all those queen cells immediately and get them into their other colonies before the queens emerge and kill everybody, you've now trapped the queen inside the roller cage So that when she emerges from her cell, she just crawls down into the roller cage and she's right there, but she is now in her own individual queen cage. The nurse bees will still come up and feed her and take care of her, but she can't get out and go murder everybody else. So that's how I do it. I use the roller cages to snap on there. And then I can come back on the 16th day and see who all has emerged. And if some of them haven't emerged yet, I can leave those in there. And for the ones that have, if I want to, I can then take them out And there's another little cap that comes with the roller cage that you can put candy in. And when you pop it off of the queen cell, you then, you know, you pull it down very gently so that the queen is in the bottom of the roller cage. Once you clear the actual cell itself, you can then slip this cap on there and snap it into place. And now you've got a roller cage queen cell that has candy in one end that can be introduced to another colony just the same way you would introduce any other queen. That then does two things for you. Number one, you know that your queen successfully emerged. So there's no question about did they destroy the queen cell? Number two, when you introduce this queen into another colony, you have the buffer there of the two days or so for them to chew through the candy. So they don't immediately get the queen and say, we don't like you and offer. They've got time to acclimate to her pheromones and kind of get used to her. So it kind of works, it adds a little bit of extra work for the beekeeper, but it tends to increase your actual success rate when using the NICOT system. Now, from there, you've introduced your queens or you've added your queen cells in, you fast forward up to that fifth day after emergence, the fifth to seventh day she leaves to go out on her nuptial flights. This is when you have the biggest chance for everything just to completely go to crap. And that is because weather, like Tony mentioned, weather can play a huge part. Say the queen left and it was not a bad day, but then all of a sudden you have a huge gust of wind or a windstorm that comes up. It could completely blow her off course and she could get lost and never find her way back home. Another issue that could potentially arise is storms could prevent her from ever going out and getting mated. And she may still be in your colony, but she may not be a mated queen and she could end up becoming just a drone layer Or... She does go out to try to mate, and it's not great. And unfortunately, you're not going to know that part until later. But she comes back, and she's only partially mated, and she wasn't able to make the full trips that were needed to get enough genetic material to be a good, solid queen for many years down the road. Now, at the tail end of that comes another set of challenges. As she's flying, she is not as graceful as the regular worker bee. She is bigger, so she's not as aerodynamic. She's got more weight to carry. And so she's just not as agile. And once she's done her mating flights and she's coming back, she's even heavier because she's carrying all this extra genetic material with her. That makes her very easy pickings for lots of predators out there that would love to gobble up a big, fat, juicy queen bee. This can be birds. It can be spiders. It can be lizards. There's all kinds of things. Frogs, although the frogs are usually not there during the daytime. Um, but there's all kinds of things that will happily partake in a big, fat, juicy queen bee as she's trying to come back to her colony. One of the other issues is she can come back. But if you've got all your queen colonies too close together and you don't have them ma- like marked to where they really know what's going on, if they're all in a straight line and they're all the same color, you could have queens return to the wrong colony because she got confused and just flew into the closest one. Now you got two queens in that colony and the colony ends up killing one of them, which means the other colony is now hopelessly queenless because they already didn't have a chance to make a queen and their queen went to the wrong house. So that's where the biggest part of all the variables come into play is during that nuptial and mating flight period that causes a lot of problems. Now, one other thing with queen conundrums that goes back over, and this is something that um, you and I have experienced a lot here lately. Five years ago, this this was not a thing. I did not ever notice this. Sorry, <laughs> dropped my phone. Um, I did not ever notice this whenever I was going through and doing any queen breeding or anything else. But nowadays, the last two years, this has been very prevalent. We've seen it with consultation clients. Ken, you've seen it. I've seen it. It's just it's kind of crazy but you end up either purchasing a fully mated queen or raising a queen and you install her into a colony, the colony accepts her, allows her to come out just long enough to lay one round of eggs, then they immediately yep. off her and raise another queen. Yep. That is that in and of itself is a whole another scenario, but at least from that perspective they did let her lay a few eggs. So, you go through and you find that this has occurred, at least in that scenario, they still have the genetic material and the eggs to turn around and make a new queen. And I think a lot of that is because the queens are not getting properly mated and or have other potential diseases or issues and their pheromone signatures are not that great and strong. So the bees are like, OK, well, you'll do for now. But as soon as we have the opportunity, you're gone and we're going to be replacing you with you know something
0: better. And then a lot of times the Gen 2s come out uh, that we have noticed, and they are some producing, egg-producing machines. Well, that should be any queen that is fully mated and fresh virgin queen
1: that has just been mated and comes back. They should be a laying powerhouse. That that doesn't really have anything to do with genetics or generations. But one of the things that you may be noticing with that, though, is that if you're basing it on a commercially produced queen – She's got a ton of competition for resources. The company is you know, overstressing the colonies because all they're trying to do is just pump out as many queens as they can. And then those queens may not have received enough nutrition. They may not have been mated properly. And then to top it all off, a lot of times they get banked, which means they get put back into a queen cage and left there for God knows how long before they ever get shipped to you. And then they go through the stresses of being shipped And then they got to be introduced to a new colony and then they've got to start over. So you end up with these teeny tiny little queens and that in and of itself can be a reason why you're not seeing like as much production with this purchased queen. And then they offer and you get this second generation queen in there who is a virgin queen that had all the focus of an entire colony on that one cell. And then she goes out and gets fully mated and comes back and she becomes a just a powerhouse layer because the colony was allowed to do what the colony should do and what they do best. They focused all of their nutrition and their energy on a select few queens instead of a hundred queens.
0: Okay. I can see that. And then also with, if we have queens around here, that where a colony has made the queen out of the egg of a queen that you bought then she goes out on her mating flight gets uh picks up scoot a lot of genetics comes back and those bees that were are hatched out are working machines i mean they are they are some kind of crazy there's one of the of the uh commercial guys here he very rarely requeens he says they have to be really bad to requeen and and he uh he makes a lot of honey off of the Scoot a lot of genetics, but he has got some mean damn (laughs) bees. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how that can work for sure. It's, it's tricky,
1: but, um, I I know there was a lot of like random numbers being thrown around in there. So hopefully I didn't just completely confuse everybody. You know, you might have to go back and, and listen to that one three or four times to dissect all the, the ins and outs. And I'll try to clean it up in the editing process so that it sounds a little bit better. But, um, speaking of Tony, In the UK, this kind of cracked me up. So one of our listeners, Michelle, finally reached the end of the series, the podcast. (laughs) Started off, had been doing binge watching or binge listening, not watching, binge listening to the podcast to catch up. And finally caught up. And she sent us a message on Facebook. She had commented on one of the posts for the episodes And she said that uh, now that I'm finally caught up after binge listening, I guess I'm going to have to go back to true crime podcasts on my commute. And then kind of the laughy cry face. And, you know, I had responded to her and said, yep, that's the pitfalls of binging. Once you get caught up, it becomes just a once off weekly treat again. No more continuous episodes to listen to. Well, Tony chimed in and uh, Tony says why are you going to go back to a crime drama? Just stay with it. Where else can you find Queens getting murdered, royalty being usurped grand theft. And it just keeps (laughs) going on and on and on. And I said, Hey, that's actually pretty funny. a a bee crime drama. And he said, yep, that's correct. Always. The prime suspect is called the beekeeper. Essentially the plot always revolves around the actions of one individual single-minded, sometimes short-sighted, often confused. Yet never prosecuted, queens disappear. It's down to a woman's group. Never men, as they're considered just too idle and sex mad. And the group is well over sixty thousand, so nobody's ever actually found guilty. Then back into the plot comes the beekeeper, and a new queen is found. Nope, it's a different queen, not the old queen. Uh, but this time, there's no time for celebration. Hang on, let me reread that part. Then back into the plot comes the beekeeper. And the queen is found. No, wait, it's actually a different queen because there's no paint. But there's no time to waste. It's celebrations. No mourning the old queen. It's party time. A new queen has arrived. A new character that emerges. Phone taps get the beekeeper rejoicing and honey being saved. Wait, who's honey? Forget honey. It doesn't matter. She is the last of our concerns at this point, assuming she's a she. A nuke has been mentioned. Oh, wait, what's a nuke? I don't know. I give up. I need a drink. <laughs>
0: Hmm. That's his rendition oh. of the true B crime podcast. <laughs> now, the only thing that would make that a little better is if that queen had dragons. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> we'll call her Queen Khaleesi, mother there of dragons. I mean, so <laughs> sort of what, you know, when you get the scoot a lot of genetics in there and you have like the daughters of Satan, that's kind of like having dragons. Yep, pretty much. There's <laughs> some fierce little critters.
0: I haven't messed with these those swarms in the pasture, but uh, we had two colonies last year that we tried to get out of there, and those bees were awesome. That's all I say. They were daughters of Satan. And, uh, in fact, one of the guys says, Ken, those bees right there in that tree, they were killing themselves on my windshield of my bulldozer <laughs> when we, when he was around, he never, he never touched the tree. He just got close to it and he said they were attacking him and his bulldozer. Well, he wasn't, he, they couldn't get to him cause he was in a cab cause that's all he does is, is clean ranches. And he says, those bees are mean. He says, I've been around mean bees, but those bees are mean. I said, okay, and they were. And they were.
1: <laughs> and they were. So on the on Tony's little rendition of the, the true bee crime podcast there, you know, the the honey and who's honey, who's she, doesn't matter. Um, on the topic of honey, I believe you have created a new honey creation.
0: Yes. Uh, in fact, everybody likes flan. Well, I don't know. a lot of people, they don't know what flan is. It's just egg custard. Basically, it's uh, a little different color uh, than egg custard, a little different consistency. But what I've got is a honey flan. It's time to see what sticky situations Ken can get himself into while combining that golden honey goodness into his sweet and savory creations. Welcome to Ken's Cooking Corner. Well now this is a honey flan so uh, get ready i'm going to give you a recipe 10 tablespoons of honey now what you're going to do is have six custard dishes sitting there you're going to put and this is i found after making it several times if you have any crystallized honey use crystallized honey what you do if, if you make flan you put the the sugar in the bottom of the dish and then you put it in the oven and you melt it well what you do with the flan with honey is you put crystallized sugar in the bottom of the dish put it in there and melt it and brown it just a little bit it ain't gonna brown it it, it browns fast watch it then you will take two and a quarter cups of whole milk or two percent what i used Five large eggs, one teaspoon of vanilla extract. Oh, by the way, and that's a vanilla extract that I made out of, uh, uh, what did, what, which one did I, I used The Ugandan vanilla extract that I had made and it needs to sit a little longer, by the way, I used a little more than that, uh, quarter teaspoon or a pinch of salt and then just stir it up. I put just a hair of cinnamon. I like cinnamon. So I put a dab of cinnamon in there. Preheat your oven to 325 degrees. Put one tablespoon of honey into six of the six-ounce custard cups. You, Like I said, I found out that the crystallized was better. Oh, also, before you put it in the oven, put it in the freezer for about five minutes and really chill it hard. May, and freeze it if you want to. It ain't going to hurt. Put it in the oven at 325 degrees for... Till it melts down and browns just a little bit. Then mix up your milk, your eggs, and your vanilla, and the remaining four tablespoons of honey into a large bowl. When it's well combined, if you want to, you can strain it. Uh, I don't. I just, hell, I'm always in a hurry. I ain't worried about making it look like flying Egg custard, fine with me. Then you place the bowls into a thirteen by nine cooking dish. Cover, put water about half to three quarters of an inch of water down there. Put in the oven for basically around thirty five minutes until uh you know once the it looks kind of like a not a hard set jello but just a light set jello. The middle still wobbly wobbly you can take it out, put it on a wire rag rack and let it cool off. And let them and I like to let them cool for overnight or 3-4 or four hours in the refrigerator. Now, run a knife around the edge of the custard cups to loosen the custard on the cups inside, you know. Take it, flop it over in a in a saucer and the brown honey or the uh, caramelized honey runs out onto the dish onto the custard serve it as dessert it's good i mean it is good uh i think you if you don't have your own honey or, or vanilla extract you can go get some at uh, the store how's that one sound i need to make that we need to do get back to doing live shows so i can make the dessert You know, where we're not live shows, but where we're together so I can make the dessert so you can try it.
1: Yeah, and then I can go through and and taste it and sample it and we can take pictures of
0: it. But that, that, uh, I didn't send you any pictures, but that flan, it is good. I like flan, but now it doesn't get that really caramelized uh, look to it that you do have when you use sugar, but uh, it's pretty damn good. Well, that's awesome. I, I kind of get a kick sitting here
1: listening to uh, to you doing the recipe. Sometimes <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you're consistently inconsistent. And I imagine like our listeners starting to take notes and then their notes end up having to have arrows drawn back to like, oh, wait, add this up here to the top. And that goes over here. and <laughs> This should have come first. So it's almost one of those. You got to listen to it once and make some notes and then go back and listen to it again and then put it in order.
0: Um, well, I've, got, <laughs> <'cause> you, <laughs> I've got my recipe here, but then I'm sitting there as I'm telling the recipe. Oh, I found out if I do this, I did this, it's better. Now, if I do this, or if I put this in it, it's better. So yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I think
1: the the main course of action would be when you start, give the full list of ingredients. Here's all the things you'll need. And then go into the okay, now take this and do this. <laughs>
0: so, okay, well, I'll still do the same thing because as I'm cooking, uh, people say, Well, Ken, you got a recipe? No. Oh, well, how do you make this so good? I just cook it till it tastes right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't got recipes. I have a basic recipe and then I keep adding the different flavors to it till I make it what I want it to taste like.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's perfectly fine. So, once you've got that done and you write down your list of ingredients, then you can start your segment with <laughs> the list of ingredients so everybody can write those down and know what they're going to need, and
0: then you tell them what to do with them. Oh, let me tell you one I found the other day. Uh, and this is easy. It has nothing to do with honey. I'm sorry. Take a two cups of finely shredded, uh, or you can use the the shredded cheese, like uh, like a... Cheddar cheese, you know the ones you buy in buy in a bag. Two cups of that. A small bottle of chopped pimentos, you know the small bottle that you can buy. Then a small bottle of jar of mayo, just mayonnaise, not the quart, just the small one. And I don't, I don't have it in front of me. I don't know how many ounces that small one is, but uh, you mix all that together, and I have made one batch i chopped up some uh the mild jalapenos and put in there and then also i put a little bit of green onions in it stirred it up basically i'm making pimento cheese but it's it's good that's all i'll say it's good there's a i got that recipe off of a restaurant here in austin that there are d'oeuvre when you sit down as they bring you these little pita chips with the, the pimento cheese, and that's the, that is the hors d'oeuvre. And it's so damn good. So I finally got the recipe off of Jack.
1: <laughs> well, look, there you go. You got, you got a bonus. You got two different yeah. recipes, sort of, in uh, in one episode.
0: <laughs> and and when, when I said Jack. Yeah, well, I knew who, I who you were talking Jack about then. Talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I knew who you were talking about.
1: Yes, indeed. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to go through and wrap this bad boy up for the week. And we will be back with everybody next week with another episode. And next week being the first official Monday of the month of June, we will have our natural beekeeping segment with Miss Natalie B. So stay tuned and watch for that. And for everybody on Patreon, we'll be back with you y'all on Thursday for another bonus
0: episode. So until then, everybody be good. Y'all be safe, be healthy and uh, appreciate the time, family. Y'all be good. The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves.